If you go to the Mission Gathering website, you'll see three big words under our name, progressive, inclusive, and Christian. So what comes to mind when you hear the word progressive? Maybe you see the first half of the word progress. Um, maybe in this politically polarized time in our country, you think of uh, progressive as tied to uh, liberal politics. Or maybe you think of, like I do, uh, Progressive Insurance, who our insurance company is. Uh, so yeah, our church is um, Progressive Insurance Church, and our pastor is Flo from the commercials. So what do we mean by progressive Christian or progressive church? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary gives us kind of a general understanding of the word, and the adjective progressive means moving forward or relating to progress or a respect or openness to new ideas. In 2017, Elisa Childers, she's a, a popular voice among evangelical Christians, and she wrote an article outlining five warning signs that your church is progressive. Five warning signs uh, that your church might be open to new ideas. And sometimes new ideas can feel kind of threatening to the status quo. It can feel uncomfortable. It can challenge uh, what feels comfortable to us. And the word used to express the opposite of the progressive church is usually the word conservative. And the word is defined in the dictionary as maintaining existing views and institutions. So why do we have this dichotomy of progressive and conservative? To help me understand the history behind the modern split. So modern progressive Christianity originated somewhere around the 18th and 19th centuries. And during that time, there is kind of an explosion of biblical scholarship and archaeology and geology, and they were discovering that the earth was older than 6,000 years old. They were discovering new uh, awareness of how we evolved as uh, people and how species evolved around our world. And some of these ideas presented a challenge to the prevailing views of Christians. And so there are two responses. There are some Christians that embraced these uh, new discoveries. And some of those discoveries were like finding older manuscripts of biblical texts that required translators to go, well, we need to retranslate some of these texts that reflect this older, uh, more accurate version of the text. And some Christians saw these new discoveries and they embraced them. And they used them to better understand the Bible and the ancient history of the writers of the Bible and understand our world. And by studying the creation and the age of these rocks and the age of our earth, uh, embracing those and, and using those to understand God's creation and how we should understand God and ourselves and the Bible. Uh, and then there were also Christians who rejected those new discoveries uh, because they threatened the status quo. They threatened what uh, some of those Christians believed to be true. And so those Christians who rejected those new ideas, uh, they developed five fundamentals. And if you agreed with those five fundamentals, you were a true Christian. If you did not agree with those fundamentals, then that was a kind of a heretical false Christianity. And those Christians who developed those five fundamentals became known as fundamentalists. And they progressed through the uh, 20th century. They were uh, vocal in the Scopes Monkey Trial on evolution in schools. In the 1950s, they kind of merged with politics and became uh, conservative evangelical Christianity or the religious right. 
And what is so interesting about that movement is that conservative Christianity was very strict when it came to their doctrine and how they viewed the Bible and God. But when it came to how they did church, they were very progressive in adopting new ideas to reach new people. And progressive Christians who were more open in their theology and their view of the Bible and God, uh, they were in some ways more conservative in how they did church. They were some ways more closed off to adopting new practices of church, uh, especially when it came to things like incorporating more modern music in the church. Right? I still know progressive churches today uh, who are progressive and they're open in their theology, but they don't want drums in the church. So it is a strange blend of conservative and progressive. So maybe the reality is we are all in this constant ebb and flow of being open to some ideas and closed to other ideas. My grandpa, who's alive today, uh, was a conservative Southern Baptist pastor. And in the late 70s, he was the first pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention to let a woman lead the music in the church. In a very conservative culture, that was a very, very dangerous and progressive move. So maybe we are in this blend. Sometimes we can be conservative. Sometimes we can be progressive. Sometimes we can be a mix of the two. So should we be afraid of being progressive? Is it really dangerous? These labels for Christians are often used in such a binary way. You're either progressive or you're conservative. And once you carry one of those labels, it comes with all these assumptions and connotations about who you are as a person. You become defined by all of the assumptions tied to that label. And I'm not sure that that's a very fair, accurate, or loving way to understand one another. So we identify as progressives because we follow in the footsteps of Christ and the followers of Christ. For a thousand years, the Bible was written in Latin, in Latin only. And the only people who could read that Bible were Catholic priests. They controlled uh, what people learned about God and the Bible because they were the only ones who had access to it. And sometimes those Catholic priests weren't really sure what the Latin said. And William Tyndale, uh, who lived around 1500, came along and he disagreed that Catholic priests should be the only ones who have access to the Bible. So he translated the Bible from the original Greek to the English. And this was the first Greek to English translation that we got around 1500, 500 years ago. The Catholic Church uh, called him heretical. Uh, they strangled him as they tied him to the stake. And then they burned his body for his progressive ideas. What they understood as progressive was a threat to their way of thinking. It was a threat to their institution and it was a threat to their authority and their power. And William Tyndale called out some of their injustices and they responded uh, by murdering him for his progressive ideas. Even Martin Luther, leader of the Protestant Reformation, he uh, who viewed the Bible very literally in a very strict view of the Bible, a conservative view, we would say, he was progressive in the sense that he challenged the status quo. He disagreed in the power that the Catholic Church had. He disagreed that you had to pay uh, priests to have your sins forgiven, what is known as indulgences. And he called out some of these injustices and says this should not be so. 
and he was seen as a heretic for his progressive ideas. And today we would probably see Martin Luther and a lot of the Protestant reformers as conservative thinkers today. But if it wasn't for their progressive ideas back then, uh, William Tyndale as well, we wouldn't have, we maybe still would have the Bible written in Latin, um, and you may have to pay me for your sins to be forgiven. Those progressive ideas and thinkers are what led to change, and in their eyes, it led to a return to the essence of what Christianity was supposed to be in their eyes. So we are progressive because we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who I believe was a progressive. Matthew 9, there's a story of a paralyzed man, and his friends carry him in on a cot to see Jesus. And there is a belief that sickness and disabilities um, had to do with sin in your life or punishment from God. And Jesus saw this man and his friends a desire to help. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, your sins are forgiven. And all the religious people there, hey, just had a freak out moment. He said, who are you to forgive sins? Only God can do that. And for the religious people there, this man who was paralyzed, they very much would have had this connection in their brain that he's paralyzed, well, he must be separated from God. There must have been something he did or his parents did that led him to that state. Kind of like we sometimes hear today, well, they're in poverty because uh, they some sin in their life or they are lazy. We know that it's not that uh, dualistic. It's not that simplistic. And Jesus challenged that notion of this man's uh, disability. He's not tied to his self-worth and his identity in the eyes of God. And so Jesus challenged the Pharisee's status quo by forgiving the man's sins. And when the Pharisees got so upset, Jesus told the paralyzed man, grab your mat, get up and walk. And the man got up and walked. And the religious people were just, their jaw dropped. They were shocked. Who is this man who is challenging our understanding and beliefs of forgiveness, of sin, of people with disabilities? Right after the story, Matthew, a tax collector, was at his tax booth, and Jesus walks up to him and he says to Matthew, come follow me. And it was kind of common for rabbis to go up to people and, and say, follow me, meaning leave your way of life and come follow me on a path to God. And what's interesting is that the tax collectors were kind of enemies of the religious people because they worked for Rome and they took people's money and gave it to Rome. And a lot of times they took advantage of the poor and they took more money than they were supposed to take and kept some for themselves. But who is this rabbi calling a tax collector, an enemy of God's people, to come follow the path to God? And so he goes and eats with Matthew and, and, and Matthew's tax-collecting friends and other sinners. And the, the religious people see this and ask Jesus' disciples, who is this guy who is eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responds. He says, go and learn what this means. This meaning their sacred scriptures. And he quotes their sacred scriptures. Go and learn what this means. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. It's as if he's telling them, you are so stuck 
on your way of seeing things, your beliefs, that you are totally missing out on what God really wants you to do. You are so focused on preserving your way of life, your power, your control, your beliefs, that you've completely lost the essence of what God even wants you to do that is found in your sacred scriptures that you claim to be preserving and conserving. Jesus uses an illustration to try to explain his new ways of thinking about God, about scripture and people. And he says, no one takes a piece of new unshrunk cloth and puts it on old clothes because the, the new unshrunk cloth will shrink and it'll cause a big rip in the clothes. It reminds me of a shirt I bought at Star Wars a couple months ago, or at Target a couple months ago. It was a Star Wars shirt that I loved, and I bought my size, and I thought, I better wash this before I wear it, especially now in, in light of the pandemic. You want to make sure everything is clean before you touch it. So I take the shirt, and I throw it in the wash, and then I throw it in the dryer, and I take it out, and it's shrunk. And it became a muscle shirt without all the muscles underneath the shirt. Completely useless. Now I can't wear the shirt. What worked with my old shirts, I can throw them in the dryer and they're fine, did not work with the new shirt, which shrunk. I have to be open to a new way of doing things. I have to adapt to a new way of doing things. The old ways aren't working anymore. Jesus is saying the old ways of seeing God and our scripture and people and religion isn't working anymore. We need a new way. And we can't use the same old patterns of thinking for this new way. It's not going to work. But Jesus is saying you need to open your minds to what God is doing right now. God is doing something new. And he says the kingdom of God is right here. It's right now. Wake up. And see it. It is a new thing that God is doing. So Jesus is like celebrating this uh, new reign of God breaking into the world. And people were so upset because it challenged the status quo. It challenged their authority, their systems. It challenged their wealth and their power. So they kicked him out of his hometown. Uh, they turned him over to their local authorities who tortured him and killed him for it because he was progressive with new ideas challenging the status quo but Jesus was a progressive so we follow in the footsteps of Jesus so to be progressive means to be open to a new thing that God is doing in the world and in our lives and we can claim to be progressive and not be open to a new thing God's doing Sometimes we miss the mark, but that's what we're striving for, a sense of openness to what God is doing, that we don't get so stuck in what's comfortable in our ways of thinking that we totally miss out what God is trying to do to bring shalom and wholeness to people, to the world. I know people who identify as uh, politically conservative. But they are very progressive in their openness to God, in their um, sensitivity to the needs of people around them, and their willingness to drop everything to meet their needs. I also know people in churches who identify as progressive. They're very, very resistant to change. 
to new ways of doing things. Robert Byrd is a representative um, senator of West Virginia, and he was in the KKK. And he was very opposed to the 1964 Civil Rights Act, actively opposed. And in the 90s and, and 2000s, he had a change of heart, and he began to advocate for civil rights. Sometimes the people we least expect to change and be open to something new, they end up being the ones that fight for uh, mercy and love and justice and inclusion. We are more complex than uh, two binary options. And we are all in a process that where we are now is probably not going to be where we are in the future. And if you look back at yourself 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, were you the same person? All of us are more complex than the labels we carry. So can we have some compassion when we look at people who we understand as having a, a different, diverse views than us? Next week, we're going to look a little bit more deeply at the ways that Jesus challenged the religious and political authorities of his day. And we're going to look at some ways that we can do the same as followers of Jesus. We are followers of a progressive Christ, a progressive God. God said in, in, uh, in the scriptures, I'm making all things new. God is doing a new thing. Am I open to it or am I scared that it's going to mess up what I'm comfortable with? The pandemic is making us want to return to an old normal, an old way of life that was really comfortable. Uh, that's not going to happen. There's going to be a new normal. But with that new normal, there is opportunity. Maybe with that new normal, there means less injustice. There means more hope. There means more mercy and compassion. Maybe there means less of an imbalance of power in our world. I hope there is a new normal and that we are um, open to what God is going to do with that so we can partner with God in bringing um, justice. Micah 6, a prophet, prophets were progressive in the Hebrew scriptures. They were challenging the status quo and Micah said, this is what God wants from me. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly, walk in humility with God. Don't think too highly of your own views. Sometimes we, as those who identify as progressive, progressives, can have some pride in thinking our views are right. We're the right ones. How do we walk with humility to do justice and love and mercy? That's what we are striving to do as a church, as Mission Gathering. That's what it means for us to be a progressive church. We do justice. We love mercy more than uh, dogma and doctrine and rituals and authority and power and we walk humbly with humility with our God and with one another so thank you for striving to do that with us have a great week we'll see you next time